0: Welcome to Hair Like Hers, a show all about women's hair health and wellness, giving you access to leading experts in the beauty, health, and medical industries and sharing their experiences, treatments, and helpful tips with you. I'm your host, Shab Reslin, born into the hair industry and a hair health expert in NYC. There is a major lack of resources, clarity, and solutions for women and their unique hair struggles. I've dedicated myself to the research and study of hair growth, hair health, and the scalp because women need more guidance and access to effective solutions. Why women? Because the topic has always been a taboo thing and I'd like to change that. I want to illuminate the importance of overall health and the best daily practices it takes. So join me in discovering the secrets to truly being your best self and to have the best hair of your life now and forever. Hello my beautiful listener, thank you so much for being here and big shout out to those of you who DM me on IG sharing your feedback. Love to hear from you always. Today's episode features a woman I admire and have great respect for, Dr. Yael Halas. She is recognized as one of the best facial plastic surgeons in New York City. Utilizing her Latin American heritage and art history training, Dr. Halas has a special interest in the treatment of the aging face in both men and women of all ethnicities and skin types. Her advanced education and continued training make her an expert in the complex areas of primary and reconstructive rhinoplasty, cutting edge technologies, and both the medical and surgical treatment of hair loss. In this episode, you can learn about the entire process of hair transplantation, especially for women, the most common causes of hair loss Dr. Halas is witnessing herself in her office, expected results and recovery, her thoughts on biotin supplementing, and the latest in other hair regrowth products and services. Here we go. Dr. Yale Halas, NYC's biggest, baddest derm. As far as I know, welcome to the Hair Like Hers show.
1: Great. It's wonderful to be here and I'm so excited about the
0: topic today. We have a good topic at hand. You know, it's something that is obviously a very popular topic, hair transplantation, uh, but it's definitely not spoken about enough when it comes to female transplantation. So tell us about your specialty, um, why you are the person to come to, to get this service done and a little bit about your office. So everyone knows, you know, who we, who we've got on the line today.
1: Great. Um, So I am actually a double board certified facial plastic surgeon, and I am located here in the center of our little city of Manhattan, New York city. And And what it means to be a double board certified facial plastic surgeon is that I specialized first in, in basically head and neck surgery. And everything to be that you can know about the surgery and medicine from from ear, nose, throat from the head and and neck. Um, So everything from brain to to the chest and then spending another additional year to know the aesthetics and reconstruction of everything in the head and neck. And why it's so important, so and I'm so passionate about particularly hair on top of everything aesthetic. So everything that's beauty related uh, in the face and neck is because hair is an essential component of that. And when we really think about it, when we are looking in the mirror, there are so many things that are really related and hair helps to define that. When we look at the top third of the face, it's really bordering and defined by hair, be it our brows, be it our frontal hairline. Hair is really our crowning beauty and it's really the bordering definition of our beauty. And when even taking my board exams, we had to know about hair. It's it's an important integral part of facial plastic surgery, and it seemed like it was almost like an orphan. It is really between my colleagues, my board certified dermatology friends who I, I I very closely work with, uh, and between. The plastic surgeons and, and I'm sort of in between the body plastic surgeons and the dermatologists in really focusing on the face and neck region, we really need to address and make sure that this area was addressed as well. Uh, there's also sort of a wild west world. It, I, I, you know, exactly as you said, like why is it like this orphaned, not discussed world? Uh, because it is really addressing and really hurting so many of us besides men that we all know are balding and losing their hair. And and that's sort of okay and talked about, but really for women as well. And we know that greater than 80% of women, like especially after menopause, once they hit that, though really it's women over the age of like 30 and over the age of 40 start to see a change in their hair. Why aren't we discussing it? We're, we're women. And that's why I applaud you so much because this should not be an issue that we are afraid to be talking about. This is something we should be talking about. We're women. We talk about everything. We have the vagina monologues. Why are we not talking about We all see those women at parties. We see them on the subway. We, see, we're, they, we, we look at the tops of their hair. We see the thinning, but we aren't talking about it. So Absolutely. this is really something we should be talking about.
0: Yeah. And we also can't deny the fact that your hair really does make or break your entire look, like you said, right? That top third, it makes or breaks the entire thing. And immediately seeing like thinning hair at the hairline in the front, it just adds so many years to your appearance. It's just a fact, right? Anything that's thin and you can see the scalp and it's starting to you know, kind of lay a lot flatter, less life, less good quality, it immediately adds years. So, right. It's like, we're focusing on the face so much, right. Everyone's trying to prevent and perfect. And yet if you don't have the thickness in the hair, I really don't think that any of that matters. You know, it
1: absolutely does complement, And I would even point Um, to browse, because being a facial plastic surgeon, so even being within the hair world, so obviously scalp hair is a major, major focus for both men and women, but being a facial plastic surgeon in my practice, and and we treat everything, we do aging face, we do aging skin, I do surgery, I work a lot with technology, a lot with lasers, and that's gonna be a lot that we'll be talking about in the next hour. Uh, But I also do a lot, as a facial plastic surgeon, I do a lot of beard transplants, and do a lot of brow transplants, because exactly as you said, you can be doing everything great for the face and neck for your skin, using technologies, using surgeries. But if the look, if the hair isn't matching and it's not just our scalp, but also brows, like you can be so aged if you have no brow hair anymore. And we're seeing how popular it is now to have a thicker brow, because if you've overplucked, if you don't have that great brow anymore, it ages you and there's no way that you're, you're working around that. And so it's just true. a telltale sign. So absolutely. I, I
0: used to, like, I look back at old pics, like we all do. Right. And my brows were so thin before. And I was just like, what the heck was I thinking <laughs> now? I'm just like, come on, baby.
1: Stay like, let like, like let's keep let it all it like, as much
0: as possible. It's so much better looking. Right. It's just like, again, completes yeah. the whole look. Absolutely. So, so no absolutely. doubt that's a popular, popular service now.
1: Yeah. And, and thanks to people like yourself um, the word is getting out that, that it's available because, you know, there is people were doing tattoo or microblading, but if you can do a brow transplant, if you can use natural hair um, and we can talk about all the different approaches um, that people are looking for to get that natural hair growth back, be it on their brows, be it on their scalps. The different approaches that we can use to get that natural look, so people can really own themselves again, to really get that confidence back. Right. So I think we'll that's get really it. What's key? Let's definitely we'll get into
0: the details of just how good everything looks these days. Let's start right off the top, just so that we can really outline why it is that we're focusing on female transplantation specifically. I mean, this hair like hers is is about women's hair health, right? But. This this topic specifically um, we're having because hair thinning and hair loss is different for men versus women. So, what can you tell us about that exactly? You know, what's the difference that you see? What are you dealing with versus men? What are women mostly you know
1: coming in for? Yeah, absolutely. So, for men, we have a very clear picture. Um, always seems to be the case for men. It's been real well understood. Um, so let's take a moment to understand what we know for men and how it differs than for women. So for men, it's a real clear picture, um, and we can all kind of conjure and figure to understand it. So for men, we know that they basically are losing the hair here and they maintain this kind of horseshoe around back around there from behind their ears and back to the back of their heads. And why is that? It's kind of a clear with aging and hormonally driven picture, depending on their genetics. But basically there's a hormone, a brother hormone to testosterone that drives that forward. Great. That's been elucidated, elucidated by the way, by a female endocrinologist at Cornell, shout out to my alma mater and to women physicians uh, who figured that out. So that's great. And that's actually one of the reasons why Propecia works so well because she traced this to this enzyme that converts this hormone. Wonderful. What a clear picture and great that we have that understanding for men. For women, it's a much more complicated picture. Of course, we're much more intriguing creatures for women it's more multifactorial. It doesn't seem to be just a clear picture as such. For women,
0: wait, you mean to tell me it's not as simple when it comes to women? (laughs) Yeah,
1: there isn't just one button you push and it is all clear. Uh, So for women, we have more reasons on why that can be going on. So for women, it is incredibly important that the first step always is a visit to just your general medical doctor. Why? Because there are very common medical reasons why women can be losing their hair. Not just only because this little virus that's been torturing all of us for the past two years, for instance, COVID has really made all of us shed and lose our hairs. Environmental stresses, emotional stresses, a physical stress of a surgery can all cause us to shed more. Indeed, in the past two years, after mask acne, um, hair loss was actually the second most googled beauty term. So a lot of things can make us lose lose our hair. But always, when I'm talking to my patients, the first things that uh, that I want to make sure is that they've had just a good physical. Because if there are nutritional issues, thyroid disease, which is very common with women, anemia, all of these are very simple medical issues that need to be addressed that can cause hair loss. Vitamin D deficiency, these are all issues that a woman should be addressing that can affect our crowning, our crown glory. So once you get past those issues, then we have a lot of hormonal issues that can be driving this issue. Uh, Many women can suffer from polycystic ovaries from which can affect women from a younger age, Um, the interplay of hormones in our bodies. And I'm not just talking about as we get to to menopause, but from an earlier age, irregularities in our period, um, polycystic ovaries, sometimes production of testosterone, the interplay of these hormones can also dramatically affect hair. Many of us might have been taking oral contraceptives. These can also interplay. So there's really a lot of different factors that can be having an effect on our our hair. So it is a much wider picture. It's not just, oh, you've got too much of the brother testosterone. Let's just tweak that, click, done. So there really are, yeah.
0: And I was just going to say, like, also, you know, you start with so many different things that you go through that you experience as a woman. So let's say you start on that oral contraceptive from a really young age and you don't have any hair issues. Right. And then you slowly t- start to fall into maybe recognizing uh, more hormonal imbalances or then you start to develop kind of thyroid issues and or anemia issues or certain deficiencies. And it starts to build and build and build and build. And you may never have had a hair issue until it does eventually show itself. And then like you're saying, which makes so much sense is that you have to be so like cognizant of all the things that you've gone through that have led to this very moment. And I think like, that's kind of what's important to do, like help raise the awareness that it's not like one day you're going to wake up and your hair is going to be horrible. Like, don't take it for granted because it happens slowly sometimes, right? Not just suddenly.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is actually a brilliant, brilliant point that you just said, because actually more brilliant than what I was saying that it's just with men. It's just that one causal issue because it does occur over time. And so much of this is really working with a team and having that patience, but also looking back It is like detective work and really looking because it can be so multifactorial. And so, as you're saying, like insidious, because there's so many different things that could be causing this. And it's not just one thing that's breaking, going to that tipping point, because it's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of, you know, as we get over the age of 30, just, just from aging, just from the slight shift in our est- in our, just our natural estrogen, the diameter of our hair starts to change a little bit. So it's the little addition of this, the little addition of that. It can also be how we are styling our hair. Are we using, um, and I have so many friends in, in the beauty industry, um, but certain extensions, certain braiding, dreads, tight dreads, all of that, time after time pulling, how carefully are you removing them? Are you working with a professional? All of this time after time can cause additional traumas, additional stresses. And it's not just, okay, a guy who over time, his father has it, his grandfather's his uncles have it. It's really these additional stresses and stresses which create this tipping point. And when we go to treat, We need to treat on multiple levels to make sure that we get back because what are we really seeing? Are we seeing one issue or are we seeing multiple issues and maybe per square centimeter, we are, you know, what, what is a normal density? Normal density, maybe was hundred hairs per centimeter squared, 90 or 80, but we don't really see or notice the thinning until we're at. 50. So, what we there's like a big window there until we really have that normal density. And then, when we do a transplant, what creates a good enough density that we're happy with? It doesn't have to be back to 100 hairs per cent squared or 80 per cent of me squared. If we can get to, you know, 50, like actually, maybe, maybe we have pretty good density there. So, and a very good point you made. So,
0: yeah. Thank you. And, and also like, you're just making me think now deciding like how much hair you're going to put in and I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but th- I think this is so fascinating. That's really subjective, right? Like, I guess you have the con the consultation with a woman who comes in and she's, she's thinning. I mean, what are you seeing the most? Are you seeing like, what kinds of thinning are you seeing? Are you seeing, you know, hormonal kind of hair loss through the front? Are you seeing diffused Um, alopecia? Are you like, what are you dealing with mostly? What kind of women come to you for help?
1: Great point. So still, when we look at the numbers, um, it's still more a hormonal genetic, which is, which is still with men as well. Like in, when we're looking in totality, what are we looking for? And what do we see in general? It's still like with men, it's still the aging process and genetics that are pushing women to have Overall, as I said, over 80% of women after menopause are going to have hair thinning. So So are they coming in,
0: are they coming in like thinner all over? Or like, are they focusing on a specific area? Like what are you treating the most or what are
1: people asking for the most? And so the pattern that we most commonly see with female hair loss that is different than men. So women tend to maintain that frontal hairline. And we've all seen this in women as they age, there'll be maintenance of the frontal hairline but thinning from their back. So it's a different pattern. It's called like the Ludwig pattern, for instance. Um, so basically, and it's also so maintaining the frontal hairline, thinning along the, the part, but it's still though, it's still there, but it's just thin here and then thinning along the part. Um, and there's also, um, and so that's the general. What we're seeing the most of, and what people will be complaining the most of, because there's just the most people who who are having that. Uh, and and what percentage,
0: uh, Dr. Halas? What percentage of men versus women do you treat?
1: As a facial plastic surgeon in general, I still have more females in my practice because I'm also a hair transplant surgeon, and that's a part, a big part of my practice. I have a larger proportion of men in my practice as well. Um, so I would. For, for my hair practice per se, um, I think if you just asked hair transplant surgeons, I, I would say that they mostly treat men, um, but because I'm a facial hair transplant surgeon, I, I really treat a good amount of both because right. from my facial plastics, I see so many women and we really make an effort to address these issues because they're important and It is part of facial plastics.
0: Yeah. What I love Um, about what you do is that you don't just see the face that you do recognize the importance of the hair and the brows. And like, that's, I think that's just such a complete package when, when you're seeing any seeking out any kind of doctor, when they do specialize um, you've got such a perfect kind of broader kind of sense of specialty where you can make the face look good, make it look young, but You've got to focus on the hair and and have a doctor that can appreciate that and see that, hey, yes, you're going to invest this time and money into your facial um, surgery. But, you know, if the hair isn't addressed, it's not necessarily going to satisfy you completely or there'll be still something lacking. So like you get to offer the full package, which I love.
1: Thank you. I, I, I think so. I, I think so as well. I think it is integral to making, to making the facial plastic surgery look good as well um, to making that look natural um, as well as, as an important part of, of, of what we do with the surgery. Um, so yeah, um, I was going to ask, have you, have yeah. has the number of like women
0: that you're noticing for hair transplantation changed over the past e- like years, like ha- have, are more women coming in? Is it more becoming more popular, more in demand?
1: So in, in two ways, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. And I think there's one very important issue, how men and women are different. Um, and that is with the actual procedure and the recovery of the procedure itself. So, We were talking about with men um, that, or just in general, that men and women lose their hair differently. And the reason why is different. So with women, they tend to lose from here back, um, but there's some maintenance, but that thinning is sort of kind of diffuse everywhere. But with men, they always maintain this, but lose this. So when we do a hair transplant, what are we doing? What we're doing is we're taking hairs from the back and moving them to where we need it. Okay, that's the same for men and women. But for men, these hairs in the back are resistant to that hormone that made them shed here. For women, they're losing their hair for many reasons that are kind of unclear. So that means that they are potentially shedding from everywhere. They could be thinning from everywhere. So if we take these hairs from here and move them to here, those can shed too. So fundamentally doing a hair transplant on them may not be as everlasting or as necessarily as successful in the long term as for a man. Okay, great. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about
0: realistic expectations. Who qualifies, who doesn't? Yeah, let's get into that because obviously it's not for everybody. So, yeah. who is who is so, considered the best candidate? Is it fair to ask that way?
1: Yeah. I think that's I think that's that's like nailing it on the head right there. Um so there are some women who or actually two categories I would say are super ideal for hair transplants. And, and when they come in, I, I feel joyous. Cause I'm like, wow, I have a great procedure for you and I can't wait to do this. So what are those two categories? So there are women who uh, probably myself included, look at the super high forehead here. So women who have Gorgeous a very high forehead, forehead um, or just, <sighs> oh thank you. But <laughs> um, women And and for those women out there with high foreheads, I like to say it's from our super high brains that are just bulging our foreheads super high. So for those of us who have high foreheads or maybe have kind of a forehead with like a little bit of temporal recession, often we inherit those from our our dads and maybe they just kind of want to redesign their foreheads a little bit, change their appearance of their frontal hairlines, God bless, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily complaining of of loss. that's a great candidate because what we can do is actually surgery to down the the frontal hairline but even still to get that really natural frontal hairline to fill in the temples great let's take hairs from here put them there super meticulous super detail-oriented we're going to get a supernatural beautiful result so let
0: me just get this clear. So when somebody comes in and they want to fill in the hairline, that's a great candidate or a great service to do because this person isn't necessarily experiencing the diffuse hair loss. So you're not, um, you know, you're able to obviously guarantee a better, better, uh, success with this surgery because you're not putting in hairs that you can't predict if they're going to last or not like a, I right. guess a weaker follicle or whatnot. Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Correct. Great.
0: Cause, cause they're not that, experiencing issues anywhere else. So that transplantation of that hair, it's stronger hair it will most likely last.
1: Right. And we okay. don't have an overall um, susceptibility issue. Got it. Uh, we also have a category of patients, for instance, if that, that may have had traumatic hair loss, traumatic alopecia, for instance, if they've had a lot of braiding, they've had uh, tight locks and they've had frontal hair loss due to just persistent chronic braiding and and use of those tight braids. And they're feeling like they're just getting um, pushback of their hairline over time. What we can do is we can take hairs usually from the back area, kind of reconstruct that frontal hairline and they can get a really great result. Wonderful, it's such a pleasure to be able to transplant those patients, right? Um, Always a word of caution, whenever I see patients who have that frontal hairline hairline loss, we do, there are a number of diseases um, that we do wanna make sure that people don't suffer from. There's some autoimmune uh, that we do make sure uh, that patients aren't suffering from. But once we get through that differential diagnosis, again, women, were interesting creatures, so as long as we get through, all of the different uh diagnoses that we could be having uh we can really do a great job so that works great great um and
0: i I was gonna say who would not qualify for a transplant like who who is a complete you know wrong candidate a write-off better not to even attempt doing hair transplantation Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Taking a few moments here to thank my sponsor of this episode, Tangle Teaser. You guys know I'm obsessed with these brushes. This brand has basically changed the way we brush our hair and care for our scalps. They have a brush for every kind of hair type and and in every fun color you could possibly imagine, they are the perfect brushes even for children's hair. And they are my favorite brushes, especially for damage-free smoothing and detangling. They are a really good gift idea for anybody. You can find something for anyone. Find your perfect brush at tangleteaser.com or follow them on IG at Tangle Teaser US. That's T-A-N-G-L-E-T-E-E-Z-E-R-U-S. Let's get back to the episode.
1: So you definitely never want to transplant somebody who has an active autoimmune disease. That would be, for instance, somebody who has a bald spot because of a disease like alopecia areata. That is something that could be treated medically. And if you put hairs into that spot, they're going to have an issue with those hairs as well. Uh, there's a number of other diseases like, uh, like planus or um, any of the scarring alopecias, that once they have entered the end stage, that they can be transplanted successfully. But once they're actually in the active phases, the skin is still in the grips of a disease that is going to affect the hair follicles that we're putting in there. So we don't wanna be transplanting. Also, I would also say that if somebody is going through a challenging period and obviously in the throes of what we call shock loss. And that's something I wanna talk more about because women are more susceptible to shock loss. You you don't want to intervene with a surgical procedure I would say during that shock loss period. Uh, So because women can recover, you can get through that shock loss period and you will see regrowth on, on its own. And that in general also is why women can be a bit more of a challenge to transplant because we are more susceptible to that shock loss. And that's something you always want to discuss with your female patients, and is why one of the reasons why female patients can be a bit more of a challenge to to transplant. Uh, When we, let's talk a little bit about what shock loss is. Shock loss essentially is when we are transplanting hairs in and with women is often in an area that already has, and we don't need to shave an area down. So it's very important for women to know we are putting those hairs in amongst area where there are hairs and we don't need to cut them. But just the act of putting surgery in, the act of making little incisions can be a bit of a shock to that area and can make the hairs, which hairs normally do go into a period of, of shock. The hairs are not growing all the time. There are hair cycles. Hairs go in and out of a resting phase and a growing phase. And hairs can be it from emotion, be it from stress, be it from, from surgery elsewhere on the body, can go into this shock phase and shed and that shedding can be psychologically stressful can be physically unattractive and make you look like you have shed a lot of hair and look even thinner and that process needs to be understood by any female hair transplant patient and may not be tolerable and may not be worthwhile for so for this is hair so this is
0: you you specifically mean this is right after the hair transplant The the treatment itself
1: and and can, and can really be seen in a period, I would say three to six months uh, after the hair transplant and, and and why some patients may not be a great, could be one of the reasons why they're not a great, a great candidate another reason for not being a great candidate is if you don't have sufficient donor hair to fill matching the expectation to the outcome is extremely important and that's right. just a fundamental issue always with surgery
0: so let's talk about the the results that you're seeing today compared to years ago when you know we would call them plugs right? Like what can we expect today? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. But that's just like the, that's just, that's, that's just another word association with, with transplantation. Right. So what, how does it differ today? What is the technique that you're using? Um, How does it feel? What can one expect?
1: Well, we have a lot of great techniques that can really make you want to get a hair transplant. Um, and you're talking about, are we seeing more hair transplants and, and, and definitely, and definitely that we have these great techniques and definitely for things like brows, which people hadn't, women hadn't known about or, or pursued before. And now that they do, um, right now I'm, I'm in my scrubs and, and between doing a a eyebrow transplant. So these are, are wonderful procedures that really empower women. And, um, and it's possible because we have these better techniques and because we aren't giving people a pluggy look, but giving a very refined, very natural look. And how are we able to do that? So the traditional or the reasons why in the beginning they looked pluggy is because when they were first doing transplants, they literally were taking um, you know, if any of you guys have had uh, biopsies, sometimes they would actually do what's known as a punch biopsy. And they would take kind of a round circle and just kind of punch. And they would do that kind of with the hair in the back of the head and take out a punch and then put that circle in here, almost so it looked like plugs of like your Barbie doll when they were younger, they would have like a circle plug of like hair and that would look okay for your Barbie doll right. or your baby doll, but doesn't really look normal <laughs> because what does normal a normal head of hair look like? Well, at the frontal hairline, when you really look under a microscope, the very frontal hairline or brows, for instance, are really just single hair follicles coming out one by one. As we move further back in the hair, hairs will cluster into different follicular units That may be two, three, or four, but never big circular plugs plugged in one, like all next to each other, like groups of trees in a forest. So what we do now, um, and particularly with a meticulous eye is we can create anywhere in the scalp, but very meticulously in the frontal hairline and super meticulously by really understanding what natural hair patterns are and how they grow, but also understanding very much the angle of the hairs as they grow. And that is very true, particularly along the frontal um, forelock, along um, the angles, along the temple, how not only the, the difference in follicular units, but also in terms of how the hair separates, in terms of how it falls, Uh, very much along what we call the whorl, along how that circular pattern that falls in the back um, by really respecting that and recreating that in a very detailed way and then placing their hairs very respectfully in the direction of how that grows and really understanding different ethnicities have different uh, curls to their hair, different textures to the hair, respecting how those patterns can be. We can really then recreate that look in a beautiful way. On top of that, we have a whole bunch of ways that we can take these hairs out to minimize trauma, uh, minimize trauma in terms of recovery for the patient. And uh, that has, those techniques have just gotten better and better uh, to try to make the procedure as minimally traumatic for the patient and as leave as little scar for the patient in terms of the for the future as well.
0: And what is the name of the the technique specifically or the method in which you transplant the hair?
1: Yeah. So the traditional technique, um, that we jumped to, uh, so the first thing that we, we started doing after they did those big plugs was, uh, the strip technique or follicular unit transplant transplantation. And so what we do there is removing a strip of hair from the back and closing it with a fine line scar. And we could still use that technique. There's still a lot of reasons why we wanted to do that. Uh, but there's another technique called follicular unit extraction. And that's where we do a teeny, 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 teeny version of a very circular, tiny little punch, which, can literally, which is literally the size of a follicular unit. Um, that can be often 0.9 or smaller, maybe 0.6 millimeters at its tiniest. Uh, maybe one millimeter, and you make these tiny little circular incisions around the follicular unit. Um, regardless of your technique, these are going to be looked at under a microscope before they get placed into your fine little incisions. Uh, and um, so that follicular unit excision um, technique can be done. There's a number of different uh, companies on the market that make these machines uh, with. They could be, have suction in them. They can be automated. They could be manual. Um, there's some companies that might be known to the public, SmartGraft, Neograft, many of these in, in my office because we do a lot of these procedures. Uh, so it's like then, you would use like,
0: maybe a combination of all these different types of um,
1: Yeah, it really depends extraction. on, for for us, it depends on exactly what's the, the history of the patient themselves, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and their type of hair specifically is kind of determines for us. Um, And then we can determine sometimes also, sometimes we, how we remove in terms of downtime, um, how we remove some of these hairs, Um, for instance, sometimes for when you do follicular unit extraction, for us, it's faster and easier to shave a little area in the back Sometimes patients don't want to have that, so we do what's known as long hair FUE or no shave. So there's a whole bunch of techniques to minimize the downtime or so that there's no area to be shaved um, and, and all of these different things that we can do to to finesse that even more. So
0: just so we have like an idea, let's say somebody wants to fill in the hairline, right? So that first scenario that you gave with somebody who is just recognizing like over the over the years that the front specifically is thinning out. So let's say, Someone wants to come in and get that done. How long would that service take, roughly?
1: So, in general, a, a hair transplant is is pretty much, I would say, you're dedicating your day to getting to getting the procedure done. Probably at least, probably a, a six hours at least, um, because there is a, a long period of time where each of those follicular units do need to be looked under the microscope um, because we we want to make sure that just the right amount of, uh, follicular unit is being placed. Um, again, we want single, uh, follicular units to be placed in that frontal hairline to give the most natural, um, right, because and- like
0: you can notice like when, when women who have, and I think this is what distinguishes like a good wig, a bad one is when the front is just immediately too thick which is very unnatural right there's a gradual development of density that happens starting at the hairline and i just don't understand why some wigs ha- are made to have like the thickest density immediately at the hairline which is i mean i notice it obviously because i know this but even even if you don't specialize in hair like just looks wrong to the eye When it's too thick in the front, like we all have that gradual kind of baby hair kind of development that eases into more dense hair so that it's not just like skin and then hair, right? There's a natural kind of transition. So, okay, so the hairline sounds like. First of all, that's like really detailed, really meticulous. So someone's dedicating their whole day. And what about the downside? What what happens immediately post-op? Can you walk us through that? how long until they're completely healed? How long does it take until you see the full
1: effect? Great, 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 and important and important questions. So whether we're doing a frontal hairline, whether we're doing a brow, whether we're doing temples, where the, where, whether we're filling in right after the frontal hairline along the part, so many important areas to transplant on women, what is the recovery like? So, um, the most important thing that I have to say is no matter what we do, there's going to be a period where there's going to be a little bit of swelling. And even though I have so many tricks to minimize that, there is going to be a bit of swelling. And what does that Why? look like? If we're going to be transplanting in this area, and often with, in women, we're transplanting somewhere here. And if it's a brow, it's here. We do use local anesthesia. The procedure is comfortable. You are not going to be suffering. This is, you don't have to go under general anesthesia. Obviously I'm a facial plastic surgeon. I have a full accredited operating room in my office. You don't need to use it, but we do need to use local anesthesia. What is that? I have to at some point, and you could be on laughing gas. You can have a volume. You don't have to see it, but we do need to put some numbing material into the area where we are working so that you don't feel it. You don't have to feel the shot going in, but we do need to work in this area and you don't need to feel it. So to put that local anesthetic in, it has to be there. And so that is just some fluid that has to be in there with that local anesthesia in there. So at some point, that amount of fluid is going to get absorbed in, but it takes some time and it's a good amount of fluid that's being put into there. So with gravity, it is over the course of a day or two, going to maybe start sinking down a little bit. So even if we are only doing up here by day two, it may start sinking a little bit lower down the eyes. We have tricks to do that, but I would always say that Day two or three, that there may be some swelling. I would never wanna say 100% that there isn't going to be any at all because there could be be some. What does the little, the, the little incisions look like? What does the little transplant looks like? They look like cute little plants that we planted. There, there are little hairs that are there. Um, you will be getting instructions on how to clean it. Uh, very often we have a hair sink in our office, um, you can come in and we'll show you how or we'll help you do it, but you do have to clean the little areas. There can be little scabs, little crusts. Uh, those should all resolve by a week. Um, often with women, we are transplanting in areas where there are hair, so it is fairly able to be camouflaged, uh, but you know, maybe you're not like your most glorious during that first week. Is it horrendous? It shouldn't be horrendous, but it's definitely not. I wouldn't plan a major photo shoot during that during that first week. Uh, also, probably you're not you're going to want to abstain from um, major exercise also during that week. Also, so kind of you know give yourself that leeway to be more gentle. Okay, so would it be fair week. to say
0: just book a trip and disappear?
1: Basically, tell everybody you're going to book a, book book a week and, and disappear. Um, okay, great. But maybe stay local, just so you know you're handy to us in case uh, there there aren't too much risks or downside. You can definitely have the procedure and then go to your your weekend home and, and come back. I do like to see you at at a week, um, and um, we're always available to answer answer questions and, and help you get through. But That's it's great. It's generally not a painful procedure, which is really important. Okay. To know.
0: So pain level one to ten, how would you describe
1: it? Uh, the procedure itself. Uh, i mean definitely we we have we have laughing gas and lots of fun meds in our office so a 2 maybe wow
0: that's good um okay and the recovery is really not that bad
1: yeah, the recovery also I would say is yeah, you know, a two, but then- I I don't I, I don't want to judge we we give lots of fun medications. You 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 be you, we you you take whatever you need and we, right. we give you a full assortment.
0: And, um and how long until you really see the result? How does it how long how does that work?
1: So that takes a long time. So those little scabs are there. Um we, and those are the little baby hairs and we don't want those to fall out. So definitely we want to take care of those guys. Um and as long as they don't fall out within the first three, four days, fabulous. Then they may start to fall out. When, we, when those little scabs come off, it looks like those little hairs maybe go off with them. It's okay, because the root is there. So if the root is there, if they fall out after four days, we're not gonna be worried about that. And we talked about that, maybe there might be shock loss. But again, we're not, not gonna worry about that. Hairs go in and out of growth cycles and resting phases we're going to be patient. And actually that's a good thing because it would be a little strange if within a week, all of a sudden, Oh yeah, I have a full head of hair, which I didn't have a week ago. People would notice hair is going to grow in slowly over the next few months. It may be three months, maybe six months. Ultimately I say, we're going to see your result at nine months at a year. To really see that grow in, which overall takes a lot of patience, but it's a wonderful thing because it's a slow growing process and it's so natural that nobody is actually going to detect it.
0: That's actually a great point. You don't want to like have that shock effect visually with anybody, let it gradually happen. Correct. That's a good point. What, um, When does somebody consider getting a treatment versus other options at your office? Let's talk about that, right? So maybe I come in and I think like, oh, I need to, I need to get a transplantation. When would you advise against it? And what other options do people have maybe before they opt for this
1: um, treatment? So there are so many, as we were talking about, there there can be so many little issues that are going on that are just part of the natural aging process that we really should be addressing regardless. So I would really recommend for everybody that we start using some of these options anyway. Um, just a good hair vitamin is an is important part. And, and, I, and definitely, particularly during these last two horrible pandemic years, people kind of really understood that. So we do know um, the importance of vitamin D for women. Um, all of us kind of understood vitamin C and zinc, as uh, just as antiviral, but can be important and can definitely be important for hair, uh, fighting hair loss. Uh, So just in our office, we do recommend some good, just simple hair vitamins. Uh, I would caution, particularly for our female patients, um, biotin is something. um, Let's talk, let's spend a minute talking about about biotin because we we all know uh, biotin, vitamin, and just the vitamin B complexes can be so great for, um, our hair and our nail growth, um, but you know there is a word of caution uh, with biotin these days, because particularly for, for women, what is our, the number one killer? Everyone goes, oh my god, breast cancer. No, it's it's heart disease, and there is caution amongst physicians that if you're taking biotin and you go into the hospital, concerned, and it's already an issue with women because we present with atypical symptoms of heart disease. And they're going to go, Oh, it's just indigestion. Oh, you're just being hysterical. Oh, it's, it's just, you know, you know, you're it's, it's muscle pain. They are going to want to do maybe a check your troponin level to see if if it's actually cardiac disease. Biotin can affect troponin levels. So I, I actually caution my patients about taking biotin because I don't want them to have a false negative troponin level and not be, detected for cardiac disease so that that would just be for, for your view or something I would really have them speak to their physician about and for instance I, I recommend a hair vitamin that that doesn't have biotin in it for, for that reason uh, but you know a good hair vitamin is you know I think just a good important thing to be on um, the role of minoxidil uh, as a preventative I do like uh, caraviv, And it's a nice treatment for the scalp. You know, we think about uh, many women are often getting facials for their faces. They understand, they exfoliate, they do skincare, but they don't necessarily think of exfoliating their scalps. Um, and so how well, you know, there's so many treatments and so many, um, uh, medicinals or topicals that they can use for their scalp. How well is it really penetrating? What, how good is our scalp health? So, you know, there are a lot of good treatments, and then we can also talk about some of the exciting new treatments that are in, in development um, to use for um, on the horizon as well. What is the number
0: one hair, um, hair hair, and scalp treatment that you guys are doing right now?
1: Definitely, um, we have a, a formulation that I make here in the practice. I think that's probably the number one thing that we are dispensing to our patients. Um, it's a, a combination of, of minoxidil and a couple of other ingredients that I have found over time to be extremely effective. Uh, so that is by far our most popular product.
0: And that's um, so like that use as a topical, you mean?
1: Yeah. So we use as a topical, um, and it has a different formulation for, for men versus, versus women. And that's, that's really worked, works extremely well, uh, particularly when used in a combination regimen, uh, geared specifically for what some of the issues may be for um, for our patients. Uh, I do really like Caraviv. There is a hair vitamin that I like. Um, and then we can talk about what has, I've published a couple of articles on and, and does look on the horizon. Um, it is not uh, FDA approved on the uh, yet as a moment, but I, I think can be used as a very interesting topical and we have anecdotally seen good results in my practice. Um, and, and I think the future will be very exciting to see as, as clinical studies come out more and more is, is the role of exosomes will be, will be something very interesting.
0: Can you explain exosomes for everybody? Because this is definitely a very popular word these days. What are they exactly? And how does this, yeah.
1: Work? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, a you know, we can talk about them in the context of, um, the whole concept of rejuvenative medicine and, and maybe take a moment to talk about uh, platelet-rich plasma, which I still think is also not an IR, uh, not an FDA uh, approved, but certainly has been around and we have so much clinical evidence and, and uh, articles have been published about it. Um, for those who may not know the term, uh, PRP is uh, platelet-rich plasma. And the concept really is uh, there is that you're taking, drawing from your own blood, uh, uh, the plasma, isolating the platelet-rich plasma. And the idea is basically that you're looking for the growth factors and using that to stimulate, in this case, you, you're they're injecting it into the right below the skin surface where the hair follicles are to stimulate the hair follicles to, to grow. Um, and that has been around for gosh, I would say over a dozen years and can when done monthly can show some, some hair growth and improvement in hair density. So there's really this concept that growth factors that you turning to one's own body can really, stimulate the body to generate a response that we want. The next step from PRP was really trying to find stem cells and one's own body is a great place to, to find those stem cells. And for instance, in, in, in our office and in the practices, we uh, would harvest fat cells. Um, your fat is the place where, where we naturally can have some stem cells. We can make that fat into like nanoparticle size and use those nano, nanoparticles of fat to inject into the scalp and to also get from these stem cells. Again, you either you're hoping that the stem cells are going to, and stem cells are basically these baby cells that have the ability to transform and also have these growth factors to be like these power pushers to stimulate this like amazing growth and transformation. And we also could see, you know this great um, improvement in density um, but it can be difficult to know how much it, you would get to see this. And and there are ways to, you know maybe make this a little bit of a better process to hopefully get a better better result. And, and the same with PRP there, P, there may be a better uh, PRF or uh, diff- different ways to make these products be a little bit better. Okay. So Um, just
0: just so that I have this right. So this, this, we have the PRP and then we have the um, stem cells from harvest. uh, We're harvesting from from fat cells. So you're, you're harvesting from your patient's fat cells, like your own patient own self. Yes. Oh, wow. Great. And so when would you, so let's say someone's done um, a series of PRP treatments, would Mm -hmm. the next option then be to move to the stem cell therapy or would you do it together or how does one kind of decide which one they need?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, unfortunately sometimes people don't see PRP can give a great result. Sometimes people are can be underwhelmed by the PRP and they wanna do something that's a little bit more scientifically futuristic or um, a little bit more advanced. And we can get a little bit overall, if you look at the numbers that, that there's a little bit more of a higher yield uh, with stem cells. And so that's sometimes the motivation. Um, the concept I mentioned, Caravive, um besides being a great exfoliation of the scalp, a kind of a facial for the scalp, um, at the same time, it's an infusion of the growth factors that have been made in a laboratory, the same as PRP. And so that's why that, so you don't have to have your blood drawn. And so that's a kind of a needle-free version as well as having the scalp exfoliation. So that's why that's kind of a popular treatment. Uh, they also have a take-home product uh, that goes with that. So. You know, just this great uh, concept of trying to boost your body to behave younger um, and really get that system really behaving, getting getting the message out. Um, and if you think about it, that's sort of um, people might kind of have that concept or might sound familiar to them because that's sort of with like the vaccine that we're using now for for covid it's a messenger rna it is it is using a signal to our cells to you you need to do this please 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 do this like get get the message to you know, ramp the system up. Like we've we we we've got to get a job done here. Like help 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 your buddy here. <laughs> oh, like little um, soldiers, little soldier, like a little soldier with like a little message saying we we've we we've, we've, we've got to get we've got to get a job done here. And that is exactly what exosomes are. So exosomes are the message package. I mean, that's exactly what an exosome is. It is a message package that stem cells, so these multipotent cells produce. So these are the cells that have the most potency you can think of. Um, These are the packages that they're making with the growth factors. This is the actual. So it's not like you're just putting in the cell, like this potent cell and just being like, oh, please, go this way, go that way. This is actually their message package from that cell. And you're putting that in and saying, please, like, here it is. (laughs) Here's the package. Go, go to town. And where Uh, do you
0: actually like, where are we extracting the exosomes from?
1: So that's where there's more work being done because there's, there's, um, there's a few companies making them right now um, and they are from donated sources and that's where the FDA is, is really watching and really cautioning and I think that's extremely important uh, because they really want to make sure that it is being done only from uh, sources that are, um, are, are are very cleared and very, cleared of any any diseases or any any products so uh for instance there's one that's um from uh the same kind of place where we we get donated blood problems so it's completely cleared from uh there's one company for instance that makes a topical product um like a skincare product and it's uh just using uh from platelets um that makes a, a great skincare product and um and so it's just as safe as when you use when you get donated blood, there's no diseases whatsoever. Everything is all, all clean. There's another that's making from a, a donated cell line. So basically in a, in a laboratory. And you're getting these the, the direct messengers to, to give the message. So that's when you think about it, you could even maybe then target even more specifically the message that you want specific to the cell you want to kind of be waking up. And that seems to be where the future is going.
0: Weird. When and do you think we could expect pretty exciting.
1: exosome treatments? So um, I- I'm gonna be expecting that um, by the end of this year, there are going to be um, clinical studies, uh, specifically for the indication of hair by the end of this this year. And uh, I think that's going to be be very very uh, exciting. Um, and, well, uh, we'll have to have you to back that. on when that is live. <laughs> yes, when I can fully discuss that. I'm very very excited. That sounds really cool.
0: Okay, so we've got multiple options. We've got things on the horizons, things to look forward to. Um, that would be done topically, I guess, in products, but also medically with a professional like yourself,
1: the world is improving. So it is getting better and, and, and importantly, getting better specifically for, for, for women that was needed. That's great. That's all
0: um, the world is improving all, all I, uh, in its entirety, I hope, right. In every sense of,
1: I, I, I really hope I really, I, I, I hope so.
0: Not just, I not know, just, so. not just hair or hair
1: loss treatments, but everything.
0: Let's finish off with this. Let's wrap this up a little bit. Tell me, you know, you've been practicing for so many years. You are in one of the most demanding cities. What is it that you love the most about your job? I really
1: love uh, being at the actual cutting edge of discoveries and scientific technology and being able to unite um, my passion for geekiness uh, with uh, my complete joy for taking care of others and being able to unite, uh, which really is science and beauty together, and bringing joy to my patients every day. It really, and, and I can't thank you enough for uh, giving me a, a forum to, to talk about it and share it with you. And it, it really was. Just to be able to talk about it and share in it, and having somebody who's as equally passionate about it um, is really a, just a tremendous joy. And I hope, uh, I hope my love for it is as transparent as, as clearly yours is too. So well, if you haven't excited people to
0: come and see you already, or even to just like enter this world of possibilities, then I would find that very hard to believe. Um, <laughs> I'm also, I've, I've been to your office. I've had a number of facial services done, which I had featured for anybody that follows me on IG. I storied the heck out of the whole process, but I will be coming back <laughs> very soon too. So I'm super excited uh, to be talking and maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a look at the the Caravive, uh, the scalp exfoliating treatment, the one that that she was mentioning that also infuses the yes. factors, right? So maybe we we'll can think. do something with that. Show the people what that's all about because a good scalp We'd exfoliation, love it. right? And We'd love I'm, it. And then I'm going to come in for facial services too. So we'll I'll see. You yes. there. got to take care of the face and the hair. It's a package, like we said. Her office is really incredible. There isn't anything that you guys don't do. Your staff is amazing. I loved the girls there. Um, And it was just like everything in one place under one roof that you need to look and feel your best. All right, my dear, I look forward to seeing you. I'm sure we'll have future talks and um, I'll see you very soon. Time flew by. Thank you. It did. Thanks so much. Take care. Make your appointment at Dr. Halas's office to find out exactly what the best course of action is for you. You can find more info by visiting www.drhalas.com That's D-R-H-A-L-A-A-S. Or follow them on IG at Dr. Halas. And feel free to follow me and connect on my IG account at Shab Hair Expert. And don't forget, you can always watch these episodes on YouTube. Get to know the guests. See me. Say hi. Leave a comment. Appreciate all of that. All the links I've mentioned are in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard and you can think of a few other women to share this podcast with, please do leave me a quick review in whichever platform you're listening from. And if you have any recommendations or comments, email me at grow at hairlikehers.co or follow me at Podcast on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.